Do you remain standing and turning your Bibles to Paul's letter to the Philippians? We're working our way through Philippians. Philippians chapter 1, we'll be looking at verses 12 through 14. 1, 12 through 14. Let's go to our God in prayer. Our gracious God, will you please be gracious and kind to us by your Spirit this morning as we hear your word read, as we hear it preached. Illumine this text for us and cause our hearts to incline towards your powerful word. Amen. Philippians 1, 12 through 14. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word, and may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. One of the great literary classics is, without question, C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And perhaps your mind went to that as you saw the title of this sermon, The Gospels on the Move. If you haven't read that book yet, get a copy, read it, read the book that you've neglected for so many years. You remember that scene of the Pevensey children at the house of Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. Mr. Tumnus, and now I'm turning to the movie version. Watch the movie, but also read the book. Mr. Tumnus has been found out to have helped Lucy, and he will no doubt be taken to the witch's house. And this news broke their hearts, even though Lucy had just met him. Mrs. Beaver, looking upon Lucy's crestfallen countenance, assures her of hope as she turns to her husband, There's hope, right, dear? And I won't do the British accent, but Mr. Beaver says, yes, there's a right bit more than hope. And then he looks side to side, and he whispers, Aslan's on the move. His hope-giving words, surely hope-giving words, go in one ear and out the other, as these Pevensey children have no idea what he's going on about. They stare blankly at him. Aslan's on the move. Who's Aslan? Never heard of him. Frustrated, Mr. Beaver has to explain to these unwitting sons of Adam and daughters of Eve that all the prophecies about Aslan's return are coming true in their time and because of them and even through them. And their time of confusion, ignorance, and reluctance soon passes. And with each day, they and the other Narnian creatures grow more and more in boldness, in fearlessness, and in loyalty to King Aslan. And recall that later in the story, when the ice of Narnia has almost all thawed out, the white witch is on the hunt for the Pevensies. She's brought a traitorous fox. And you'll remember that this fox had earlier sent her wolves off in a direction in order to help the Pevensies escape. And now, faced with being turned into stone, he says, forgive me, your majesty. And the witch thought that he was speaking to her. But in truth, 
He was speaking to Edmund, who was at her side. The fox was faithful to the end, risked and gave up his life out of loyalty to King Aslan. And there are ups and downs in the story, as all stories tend to move. But as the story unfolds, the good news of Aslan's arrival and soon victory advances forward and emboldens many Narnians. That's a little picture of the hope in Paul's heart here and the evidence of his convictions in these few verses. We see this morning that Christ uses our afflictions in him for the advancement of the gospel through emboldened testimonies. Notice, I, if you look at the outline, I changed and to through. That's more accurate. Christ uses our afflictions in him for the advancement of the gospel and through emboldened testimonies. Look again with me at verse 12. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So here, Paul is seeking to assuage the Philippians' fear. They're fearful. And before he speaks to the benefits of his present predicament of imprisonment for Jesus, with his pen, he's taken them by the face, and he says, look at me. Do you see me? Do you see me right now in prison? It's because of Jesus. I am here because of Christ. Make no mistake about it. As you read this letter, know that I am not free to move about, as you are all free to move about. As you hear my words, know that I am chained for Christ. I am shackled because of our Savior. The things that have happened to me are on account of the gospel of Jesus and nothing else. There's no mistake in it. I am here because of Christ. He doesn't say these things because he's upset with Jesus, of course. Why say these things? Well, for one, it's to share the benefits of his boundedness, of his being bound in prison. We'll look at those benefits in just a moment. But for now, it's not hard to imagine the impulse that some might have at this kind of news. What is the first thing that we sometimes say when we hear that someone's in jail? Well, what'd he do? What was his crime? How'd he break the law? You see, this is why we have prisons, for people like him. Paul is right where he needs to be. Paul was a criminal to some. But how did, how did he get here? I want to summarize Acts 21 through 27 for us. And you can go home and, and read that today or this week. He's not a criminal. But in the eyes of the unbelieving Jews, he absolutely was. And whether he was guilty or not, still remained to be adjudicated, to be seen as far as Rome was concerned. Paul was arrested in Jerusalem for apparently teaching against the Jews, teaching against the law of God, teaching against the temple. In fact, Paul apparently, they say anyways, brought a Gentile into the Jews-only court. His name was Trophimus. Think of Paul carrying a trophy into the Jews-only court. And Paul saying, no, I didn't do that. He spoke to the people. He clarified the facts of the case. He said, no, I didn't do that. And he even gave his own testimony. He said, I used to be a persecutor of Christ. I used to hate Christ. I used to persecute Christ and his people. But now, by grace, I have been washed by his blood. I'm no longer a persecutor of Christ. I'm a proclaimer of Christ, which is what I'm doing even now. Of course, the Jewish mob was not pacified. And the case was not sufficiently clear to the Romans. So surely a flogging and examination could speed things up, right? But there's a plot twist. 
You can't flog a Roman citizen, which Paul just so happens to be, and that by birth. The next day, the Roman tribune wants to find out what the real reason is for all of this hubbub. And before the council, Paul lays it out very clearly. He says, I am here because I am preaching Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. That's why I'm here. And that really messed with the Jews there because there were Sadducees and there were Pharisees. And you might remember that these two groups are not agreed on the resurrection. This is very strategic on Paul's part. That's a whole other sermon. But there's division that broke out among the Jews because Sadducees say there's no resurrection. The Pharisees say, of course there's a resurrection. And so Paul got them to disagree with each other and they can't even come to terms with what to do with Paul. The Lord comforted Paul. In Acts 23, verse 11, he says, You've testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem. You are on your way to Rome. There was then that that plot among the Jews to kill Paul, who was obviously so clearly a traitor to their cause in their eyes. But Paul's nephew saves the day by hearing of this plot and telling Paul of the ambush. Paul was then sent to Governor Felix. Felix is a Latin word, which means happy. And a way to remember it is Felix was happy to keep Paul in prison, in Roman custody, for two years. Two years, despite Paul's innocence. Can you imagine being essentially, functionally condemned to prison without a proper hearing? Surely that wouldn't happen in our in our land of freedom and justice. Well, this Felix did the Jews a favor. He was kowtowing to the Jewish influence. Felix then handed Paul over to Porcius Festus. Think pork, think pig, think fatty Festus. It's just a way of helping students remember these characters. Fatty Festus likewise had no sense of urgency to do Paul a favor by doing the right thing. Yes, the charges were serious, but they have been unproven, literally, for years. To do the Jews a favor, instead, he recommended a trial in Jerusalem. And at this point, Paul says, no, 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 no. We're not doing that. We're not going back there. I'm done. I've done no wrong. You know I've done no wrong. I appeal to Caesar. And then says, well, then to Caesar you shall go. Wonderful how God is working out these injustices in his providence to bring Paul to Rome. Paul then made his way over to Rome to stand trial, and along the way managed to endure even more hardships, being shipwrecked, which had to have been terrifying. Not just that, but he was stranded on the island of Malta for three months. Any affliction you can even think of, Paul had it. Paul endured it. But even there, which is, again, another sermon itself, even there, God, he used Paul mightily to proclaim the gospel and to save people in Malta. Eventually, he arrives at Rome, is under house arrest, and there writes this letter. There he writes this letter to the Philippians. The whole time, the apostle has been innocent of all these charges against the temple, against the Jews, against the law of God, and, of course, against God himself. He couldn't get a fair hearing. 
And when impartial judges heard him, they privately acknowledged, yeah, he's innocent, but they were unduly influenced by the Jews and did the Jews the favor instead of doing the right thing by exonerating Paul and letting him go. And Paul is saying, all of this would never have happened were not for Jesus, were not for his gospel. I'm here for no other reason than because of Jesus and the gospel. Paul's only crime then was his loyalty to Christ. And oh, what a badge of guilt honorably worn. Saints, enslavement to Christ and because of Christ is our most honorable condition. There's nothing better than that. You cannot get any better than saying with Paul, my imprisonment is for Christ. One biographer wrote a little-known detail about John Calvin. He says, Calvin himself had been for a time imprisoned on suspicion of heresy in his native Neon. Sorry if I butchered that pronunciation, Joan. And one wonders how he ever escaped. Calvin? A heretic? Surely not. We love Calvinism, don't we? We agree with Spurgeon when he said that Calvinism is Christianity summarized. Calvin would not care for the name Calvinism. It's not about him. But we know what we're talking about. We're talking about the doctrines of grace. We, we love these teachings. We think they are biblical. They are scriptural. Calvin? A heretic? Surely not. But he was branded a heretic. The nearby Bern, a former ally of Geneva, hotly opposed Calvin and did so from the pulpit. You imagine these ministers of Bern were preaching against Calvin from the pulpit, treating him as if he were some false teacher that some of us would rightly claim, uh, you know, people teaching on TBN or others, there's a bunch of false teachers out there doing a lot of wild stuff. I was talking with Mrs. Godwin about it this morning. There's people who do some wild stuff. Just look up, Mike Todd and his Transformation Church. You see a 40-foot um, trampoline in the middle of a sanctuary just a week or two ago. To get out some you know, picture about standing on the word and going high. and it's, it's all kinds of stuff. There are real false teachers. It's wild stuff. Calvin, Calvin the heretic. So these Bernice ministers, by the way, were Protestant ministers. So Calvin is writing in 1554 to Bollinger, his friend. He says that these Protestant Bernese ministers have hurled insults worse than what the papists, that is the Roman Catholics in the day, worse than what the papists put together have thrown at him. He's saying, I am being mistreated more by my own brothers than the Roman Catholics. And there was a, a deeper divide, a greater divide back then between Roman Catholics and Protestants. They did not believe that that uh, either one had the real gospel. must have been hard. These men called him a heretic. They banned his books. You, if you were in Bern, you couldn't get a book from Calvin. This is Fahrenheit 451. Zeroed in on Calvin's books. They called him the Antichrist. They called him the Antichrist. Again, this is wild stuff. Antichrist? 
And why? Well, for a number of reasons, but one of them was that he held that the right of excommunication belongs to the church and not to the state. That's our responsibility. That's our duty. It's the church's responsibility to excommunicate. And these Bernice magistrates didn't take kindly to this. Have you been called names for your faithfulness to the gospel? I know I have. I've been a minister for six years here, and before that I was a teacher trying to teach the Bible. I know I've been called all kinds of things, and it would grieve your heart certain things that I have been called. Who cares? They're just names. I'm sure you have been called something as well. For your faithfulness for the gospel, surely you have been considered a a bigot, narrow-minded, that your view of God is the God of, who's a monster. And you must be a monster if you're going to believe in this monstrous God. And all the rest. Sure, name-calling isn't fun. But this, this comes with the territory. This comes with believing the gospel and not keeping it to ourselves. Letting the light shine proclaiming the gospel, sharing the good news with people, which ironically is so hated by so many. Well, this experience that Calvin had positioned him well, and our own similar experience positioned us well to minister to others. A common type of person that Calvin would write to was the prisoner for Jesus, a French convert who who converted to Protestantism, that now stands trial for rejecting the Roman Catholic faith. There were five young Frenchmen, for instance, who were properly trained in theology, who made a brief visit to Geneva to study under Calvin, only to head to their hometown to spread the gospel of Christ. And in this example, on their way, they encountered a traveler who wished to accompany them. And they agreed, having no suspicion about this man's motives. They arrived at Lyon and were about to part ways from this man until he invited them to his house for dinner. They agreed to dine with him and then go their own way. But it was an ambush. They were immediately arrested. Calvin and company tried all they could to get these men released from prison. Meanwhile, he would counsel them from a distance, encourage them through many letters full of sympathy, He would say things like, we are confident that God will use your captivity for good and will give us cause to rejoice. He would encourage them, be confident, brothers, that God will not leave the work of his hand imperfect. Stay strong. Two months later, he wrote a letter to a certain John Liner. John Liner, who settled in Lyon, would regularly visit these men in their dungeon. He was on site, with boots on the ground, and he would visit them. Provide for their needs. Encourage them with the word of God. And so Calvin thanked the Lord for John's persevering, courageous support of these men. These men whom the world rejects, but whom God, Calvin says, esteems as very pearls. Just keep it up, brother. Those who support martyrs, those who support prisoners, are viewed as martyrs as well because God's martyrs are helped by them. We remember Jesus' words, don't we, in Matthew 25. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. 
This is part of gospel ministry, brothers and sisters, dear saints of Christ. Do not shake off the shackles of Christ. Wear them proudly, boast in these chains of freedom. It's okay to be viewed as a slave to Christ. It's the best thing. Yes, it comes with heartache. Yes, it comes with trial. But what is that compared to Christ? After all, Christ had endured much more than any, anything you and I ever will. And he did that because he wanted to be united to you and me. Surely we can confess his name with courage, with boldness, with love. Now, before the Philippians get to thinking that Paul's boundedness is Jesus' fault, he assures them, and he assures all of us, that it's actually Jesus' fruit of the gospel, that his imprisonment is for good. Verse 12, he says again, it says, really serve to advance the gospel. And verse 13, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Paul's prison ministry is causing the gospel to move. This language is similar to what he says in verse 9, something we looked at a couple weeks ago, about abounding more and more. It's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. That language of advancing the gospel is that abundant language, more and more. He's saying, rather than hindering the gospel, which of course you would think he would do if I'm in prison, I'm a I'm confined. He says, no, rather than hindering the gospel, my time in prison has actually advanced the gospel. How about that for some evangelistic program, being in prison? And he uses a military metaphor to speak of the mission of the gospel, marching on, blazing a trail for the gospel's success in enemy territory. This military language fits very well since he has in mind the imperial guard, which he mentions in verse 13. It has been known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest, that my imprisonment is for Christ. This imperial guard refers to the special elite bodyguards of the emperor. They were in charge of all the imperial prisoners, all the prisoners in the, in the empire. And this guard consisted of about 9,000 men. Like water, this ministry of the word has poured into all of these imperial crevices, or at least has begun to do that. His imprisonment answers the very important question, how can the gospel get into the heart of Rome? How can Paul make inroads in the heart of Rome to the empire, to his men, his supporters, his bodyguards? Roman soldiers, after all, need the gospel too, don't they? Well, here's the answer. Get in prison for Jesus. And Paul says, in in essence, I got them right where I want them. They think that I'm a prisoner of war, but Christ, our commander, is using me behind enemy lines to take them captive for himself. And you know who the emperor is at this time? Who reigned between 54 and 68 AD? Sure, some of our students know. Who reigned between 54 and 68 AD? Nero. Emperor Nero. Now, admittedly, this was in the early part of his reign before he went cuckoo, which is an important fact to remember, especially 
when Paul speaks in Romans 13 about the government, other issue. But here, he's saying that through, through Paul, the gospel has invaded Nero's men before Nero would eventually come after Christians. In fact, in 422, Paul says, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. As the kids say, got them. You can't, you can't make this stuff up. Only, this is the stuff of God, isn't it? That he would make Paul a prisoner that the people around him would hear the gospel. Because even pagan governments, even pagan individuals need the gospel. We saw that when Paul and Silas were in prison, didn't we? Dear saints, God uses our temporary pain for the good of the world. Make good use of your suffering, whatever it is, and strive to share the gospel with it. You never know how God will use your pain for your good and the good of others. Yes, pain hurts. Affliction is very difficult. A lot of heartache to suffer. Nobody likes suffering. Nobody says, God, please give me more suffering. I want it. I just love feeling crummy and bad the whole time. I love being denied food and and drink, clothing, being denied my family and friends. I just love seeing my body waste away through cancer. Nobody says that. That's morbid. That's, That's contrary to our own design. But you can use it all because God can use it all. Because God has ordained whatsoever comes to pass. Whatever my God ordains is right. And if that means your imprisonment, Paul, then glory to God. If that means your cancer, then praise God for it. If that means whatever. If that means a miscarriage. If that means a loss of friend. Betrayal. That means being called names. That means going into a car accident. Whatever. Glory to God. Because God will use everything. God has ordained it all. And so all of it is then intended to be used to glorify his name and to enjoy him forever. Yes, even through the suffering. That's why we can rejoice. Again, we can say rejoice, as Paul tells us to do. Thomas Watson, the Puritan, says, God can, by a divine chemistry, extract gold out of dross. God enriches by impoverishing. He causes the augmentation of grace by the diminution of an estate. How stupendous and infinite is that wisdom. And let's never forget the great Puritan, John Bunyan, and his beloved Pilgrim's Progress, arrested for preaching the gospel without a license and left in prison for 12 years only to be released for a couple of years, only to be arrested again. He wrote part one of Pilgrim's Progress during the second imprisonment, and the book sold 100,000 copies in its first decade. And has since been reprinted in 1,500 editions and translated into more than 200 languages. After the Bible, it has sold the most copies. All because he had a little extra time on his hands to write about conversion, to write about the Christian life, and to bless millions of people. 
And some people, some saints, read Pilgrim's Progress every single year. At least part one. The more popular of the two. All because God put him in prison. For doing what? Preaching the gospel without a license. Surely this faithfulness inspires boldness for all of us, right? Verse 14, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. How are these people more and more bold? Paul doesn't say exactly, but it should be clear. You can hear them reasoning out loud. So if God has powerfully worked in Paul's life through great lack and suffering in prison, surely he can work great things in my life and he can work mightily through my life. Me, I'm not even in prison. If God can do all those wonderful things when Paul's in prison, I'm free to move out. I can do a lot of things. God can do a lot of things through me. Where does this holy boldness come from? It doesn't come from Paul. It doesn't come from these Philippians. It doesn't come from any of us. It comes from the Son of God, whose boldness for the gospel has taken the gospel and has given it beautiful feet to announce the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus to the nations. So we may be bound. We might be even providentially hindered from moving about. But the gospel of God is not so bound. You might be homebound. You might not be able to get out of your, your home anymore. Does that mean that God has stopped using you to be, for the faithful proclamation of the gospel? Of course not. Ever heard of prayer? You can pray. Can you pick up the phone and talk to somebody and encourage them in the Lord? Of course. There's a thing called internet. You can do things on the internet. You can proclaim the gospel. You can support people who do. All kinds of things you can do. Even if you are providentially hindered from moving about like you used to be. Paul in 2 Timothy 2, 8 through 10, in a far worse imprisonment than his present house arrest, he says this, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. I endure everything for the sake of the elect. I know that there are people whom God has chosen, and the gospel is going to get to them. Not one will be lost. I am bound, I am suffering, but God's gospel is free. And it's going from, from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. It's far-reaching. It's worldwide-reaching, even though Paul cannot be throughout the world. Even though you and I cannot be throughout the world, God's gospel is not so bound. A week ago, before Thanksgiving in 2023, a man by the name of Hans Schmidt was doing some street preaching, like he always does, on a corner in Glendale, Arizona. He's a 26-year-old man who was a military medic. Hans is his small church's outreach director, newly married, couple children, and a gospel preacher. And as he was proclaiming the good news of Jesus that one Wednesday evening, a car had, had pulled up from behind him, and someone in the car had put down the window and shot him right in the back of the head. 
And if you can watch the video, you see him falling down, struggling. Of course, this little church has been praying fervently for Hans' recovery, for, for justice, that the criminal would be found. Meanwhile, they have found support from many churches in the area who have been made aware of Hans' condition. This church and her supporting sister churches banded together and stood on that same corner where Hans was shot and proclaimed the gospel of Jesus for two nights in a row, unafraid. Word got out, and soon there were 80 to 100 people on all four street corners in support of this man, but mainly in support of the gospel. Special services were held, and people came and worshipped, and many were saved. The pastor of that church, Gary Marsh, told reporters, we will never stop preaching. This is not going to deter us. We're going to keep preaching. We're going to keep proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in God's providence, since that time, Hans has been released from the hospital. Interesting. Miraculously, he was able to actually get in a car and drive to the hospital. Uh, and he was in there for actually until just a few weeks ago. He's home with his family. He actually attended church, I think it was last Sunday. And he's waiting to, he's waiting to recover a little more that he might continue his street preaching ministry. Beloved saints, the gospel is on the move. Are you in step with your commander? Be bold, brothers and sisters. What's the worst that can happen? Your death? That's all right. If I die, I'm with Jesus. Be bold. What's the best that can happen? The salvation of sinners for the glory of God. Amen? Let's pray. O oh God, our Father in heaven, help us by your Spirit not to misuse and profane your holy teaching by wrongly interpreting its meaning or by neglecting its application. Instead, may this holy teaching build us up in the faith of Jesus Christ so that we may always abide in him and be diligent in prayer and supplication. May our whole life, Father, be devoted to doing good and to helping our brothers and sisters with the goal of learning to grow more and more in the grace of our adoption which you, O God, daily confirm to us. We pray these things, Father, in the name of your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.